When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Real Vision Podcast Network. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It is Monday, September 27th. I am Jack Farley and joined by Jared Dillian of the Daily Dirt Nap. Jared, how are you doing? Yo, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I think, Jared, today I'm lucky, and I think viewers are very, very lucky because you come out with a little bit of a bombshell. You've changed a lot of your thinking over the past two weeks. You were a bull. You were leading the charge on the S&P 500 up. You were uh, having your inflationary view. Since then, you've changed your mind a lot, and you're now actively looking for shorts. So much, in fact, that you actually started uh, your piece today, which is called The Next Crisis. You said, play box, Takata, and Fugue in D minor here. So that's what we're going to do. So we're going to do exactly that. Uh, Jared, <laughs> before we uh, explain why you're feeling such, such ways, why people heard that uh, sort of ominous music right now, let's just quickly get into the news of the day. A bit of a strange day as bond yields spike with the 10-year Treasury breaking above 1.5 for the first time since June. That puts some pressure on technology stocks with the Nasdaq closing down 52 basis points. Meanwhile, natural gas exploded higher, something like a 10% jump as the energy crisis in Europe threatens to become global. And rent uh, crude oil surged to just below $80, the highest level since 2018. That's not even getting into Evergrande, which I'm sure we'll get into. But Jared, got to give it to you. Why are you now bearish? Why are you looking for shorts instead of longs? Uh, a bunch of reasons. I mean, first of all, it's the evolution of sentiment over a very long period of time. You know, I've actually first started getting bearish back in uh, January when GameStop spiked. And um, I... I, I panicked out of a lot of longs when that happened, and then I sort of reloaded on the inflation trade. But over the past eight or nine months, we've had Dogecoin, and we've had NFTs, and we've had just all these examples of hyper-speculation. And it feels a bit tired. Um, you know, some of the prices of NFTs are going down. You know, that's why I spend so much time looking at that stuff. Collectibles is because it's it's an indication of speculation, and it's starting to get tired. Uh, another reason I'm starting to get bearish is because of inflation. And if you go back two years ago, you know I was bullish on inflation because I thought that a little bit of inflation would be beneficial to asset prices. And we're kind of past the little bit of inflation point, and now we're getting a lot of inflation. PPI printed 8.3%. The next CPI reading is going to be higher. I think we're going to get CPI up around ultimately 6 7 8%, maybe higher. Um, and inflation starts becoming bad for asset prices. And kind of what's happening is that we've compressed the decades of the 60s and the 70s all into two years. So during the 60s, you had a little bit of inflation that was good for asset prices. And in the 70s, you had a lot of inflation that was bad for asset prices. And now we're in the 70s part. Okay, so things are getting bad. Uh, I'm bearish because of China. We'll talk about that in some more detail uh, I'm bearish because of rates. I've been keeping an eye on the bond market for a while. 
Um, I thought it was anomalous that you had tens at 1.2% while PPI was 8.3%. It didn't make any sense. That was going to resolve itself somehow. I did not think it was going to resolve by inflation going lower. So that's kind of a neat summary of all the reasons I've turned the ship around in the last couple of weeks. Thanks for laying that out, Jared. And yeah, I was right there with you when bond yields were at 1.2 and we were getting these red hot inflation numbers. And I was thinking, is it just because I'm so you know because I'm so young and new to this that you know that I don't understand this, or is it that this is am I correct in thinking that this is very very strange? Jared, I want to uh, go back to you on inflation. Normally, the channel of inflation eating away returns is that they raise bond yields because bonds sell off, and therefore that sort of the discount rate is higher, and that takes some energy away from stocks. But what if real rates are deeply negative? That is, you know, after inflation, you know, bond yields after inflation are deeply negative. What channel do you think will take the juice out of the the equity market? Well, I mean, the last precedent, I mean, the last time um, yields were this deeply negative was around 1979 to 1981. And that was a really bad time for stocks and valuations got compressed. The reason I brought up the example of the 70s is because over the course of the entire decade, valuations compressed a lot until you got to about 1982 when the average stock had a single digit PE and a 6% dividend yield. So I think over time, as inflation continues to rise, you're going to get that valuation compression. Mm, yeah, and another point is that in the 70s, the Fed had the ability to jack interest rates up to 20, whereas now, you know, even even jacking them up to 2% is spooking equity markets, right? Well, they have the ability to do it, but they're just because of political constraints, uh, they don't have the will to do it. So, all right. Well, let's. Moving on from inflation to talk about China, you write, the next crisis will come from China. Why do you think that? So let me think of the best way to say this. Um, So China's history with capitalism is pretty short. It's only about 30 years. And over the course of that history, you know, things have pretty much been up and to the right. You know, they haven't really had a serious recession. There's been a lot of growth. Stock market's done well. Um, so they've had a lot of a lot of the benefits of capitalism without the bad parts. And now they're starting to get the bad parts. And the reason they're getting the bad parts is because Chinese capitalism is different from Western capitalism, which means that it's basically state-directed investment. Okay. It's not really free marketed state-directed investment. So, I mean, if you go back 10 years ago, around 2011, the big news at the time was that China was building these ghost cities. They were building entire cities and just sort of directing people to move into them. Now, some of these cities got filled up, some of them didn't, but what you have is a massive overhang of malinvestment over the last 10 years. So Evergrande really is just a manifestation of that. And I know you're going to ask me if this is the Lehman moment for China, and having worked at Lehman Brothers, I resemble that remark. But it's not, it's not, it's not really analogous like The point is, is that there will be more Evergrants because of this malinvestment that has accumulated over such a long period of time. There will be more failures. It'll be a drag on growth. And also, just from a political standpoint, you know, I don't think Xi Jinping is really into capitalism. I don't think he is. Um, I think that he views it as a threat to his authority. Uh, I, I think he views very wealthy people as a threat to his authority. And I think ultimately, you know, China is going to slowly go back to socialism. So I think if you're an investor in China, either actively or passively, 
if you're investing in one of these emerging market mutual funds that have like 35% China, you have a huge exposure to China. There's going to be expropriations. There's going to be nationalizations. There's going to be failures. This is going to be a very bad place to invest over the next five to 10 years. Okay. So you have a very bearish view on China. To what degree do you think that this uh, financial contagion, contagion could spread outside of China? So, for example, it's not just Chinese real estate that goes bust. Uh, there are other properties around the world that that uh, you know sort of leak out value. Uh, do you think that will happen or, or no? I think it'll happen. I really don't have the ability to predict how it'll happen. Um, Evergrande only had 19 billion of international debt. Um, there's there's going to be more companies that have international exposure. I really I really don't know how it's going to play out, but it's going to have huge implications. And if you're a manufacturer in the U.S. and your supply chain is in China. I think the rule of panicking applies. You want to panic before everyone else does and bring that home. And by the way, all of this is super inflationary. It's super inflationary. Really? Jared, I, I, the, what I'm hearing is that uh, if China it wants less steel, it wants more, less iron ore, it wants less copper, that it, it will decrease the demand and that will, it will export deflation. No? Or no? <laughs> no. I no, I think what's going to happen is is that international trade is going to go down and countries like the United States are going to be forced to produce goods at home which is going to be more expensive which is going to be inflationary. That's my thesis. Maybe you're right, maybe I'm right, who knows. But Right, okay. What what you're saying makes sense. Jared, let's actually take a this reminds me about uh the role of denial which you talk about in an interview with Peter Atwater. Let's take a clip of this, uh, your interview with Peter, which airs um, next Friday on the Essential Real Vision tier. I want to get your take. Let's take a look. It's been fascinating to watch the parallels, honestly, between our response to COVID in China and our response to Evergreen and Evergrande in China. Um, you know, in both cases, everyone has quickly concluded the the problem is contained. And, you know, while that may or may not be the case, I guess we'll, you know, we'll soon see. Um, we, we've jumped to a conclusion that I think is, you know, potentially perilous. When the subprime crisis hit, everybody had the same response. It's, it's contained. It's insignificant. You know, there won't be any, you know, fallout from it. And, and I think what people forget is not, you know, the size of the specific issue, but the sentiment reflected within it. You know, the, the reason that subprime mattered wasn't that it was enormous, but that it was ridiculous behavior. And, you know, the, the question to me with, with Evergrande is not its absolute size, which is, you know, admittedly enormous, but what it says about sentiment, you know, particularly to your point, that it's gone on as long as it has. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome back to the daily briefing. Let's get back to top analysis of today's markets. 
So setting aside the comparisons between Evergrande and the 2008 great financial crisis, Jared, one thing you and Peter talk about later in the interview is about the role of denial, how investors tend to deny the existence of a problem until the last possible moment. Uh, you refer to the sort of Tom Hanks moment for COVID-19. Tell us what you meant by that. Yeah, I mean, at, at, you know, at the top of any bull market, sort of, you know, all the concerns that I listed, whether it's China or inflation or rates or sentiment, it sort of accumulates over time. And it's not a problem. It's not a problem. It's not a problem. And then suddenly it's a problem. Suddenly it like goes into everybody's consciousness. And with COVID, you know, we knew in January what was happening in China. It, we knew that it had the potential to transfer to the rest of the world. And, uh, you know, U.S. investors were ignoring it. And then on March 11th of 2020, Tom Hanks came down with COVID. And that was the moment that it just became real to everybody that this is a threat. We're all going to die. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's, yeah. you know, and even though that, that wasn't true, that was the feeling that they got. Yeah. 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 And, and, and if you remember, we went from, you know, the markets were pretty bubbly at the time. And then a couple of weeks later, we were down 35%. I mean, it happened very fast. And the sentiment at the time, people were very afraid of COVID. Like, I mean, you know, it's, it's a deadly disease for sure. But I remember, you know, being locked down in my house in South Carolina. And my wife and I would go for walks around the neighborhood. And if we saw another couple walking, we crossed the street. We would cross the street. People were terrified. We thought that there were going to be tens of millions of deaths, that the economy would be shut down for 10 years. And we went to the other extreme in sentiment. And it only took about three weeks for that to happen. Prior to that, it wasn't a problem. It wasn't a problem. And then one day it was a problem. And do, what do you think that moment will be for Evergrande or for inflation? And well, how, would you know, how would you know it when you see it? So I think that, um, you know, I had this discussion with Peter on the interview, and I, I don't want to spoil the interview, but uh, one of the questions I asked Peter was, you know, let's let's say this is analogous to the financial crisis, and this is like, uh, you know, uh, Evergrande is like New Century or First Federal or, you know, one of these subprime lenders, and this is 2005, and we still have two years to go. Um, which is, which is possible. I mean, we could have two years to go. And Peter said, no, I don't think it's going to be two years. I think it's going to be a lot faster than that. Yeah. I actually, um, I'm glad you said that I had a take on Twitter that it's not, everyone's not a Lehman moment. It's, it's countrywide. Uh, and I think that I'm also in the camp with you that it, it has the potential to be slower rather than fast because in 2008, once the party was over, it unraveled in a spectacular fashion very quickly because I was insuring your bond, you're insuring the other person's bonds, and that it is a sort of this daisy chain that unwound. I think with Evergrande, you have a very a similar situation in that there are lots of hidden debts and a lot of assets that really should be quantified as debts, but are but are assets, but they're just not, you know, they're not packaged into a collateralized entity. They're not on the Bloomberg screen. So for example, someone who's a rice farmer in a, in a uh, rural Chinese province, they will be bought out by Evergrande to turn their rice paddy into a uh, empty office building. By the way, talk about malinvestment. And then they will be hired, uh, you know, in order to sort of keep the peace, they will be hired by maybe a joint venture with Evergrande um, as a security guard or some sort. And then, then they'll use those proceeds to maybe buy Evergrande land, maybe on, on margin, maybe on debt, before the property is even built. And they'll maybe buy a wealth management product that has a 
a, a trust loan to Evergrande. So all, all these things are similar to 2008, but they're they're not, you know, there's not a lot of Bloomberg terminals that are flashing sell signals that can sort of spiral out of control. So I, I do uh, see a lot of truth in what you're saying about it, the fact that it could be a slower thing. Yeah. And the other thing is, is that, you know, China being a command economy has the ability to paper over losses and sort of, you know, postpone the eventual pain. Where you can't do that in the United States, we have a free market economy, flat prices fluctuate. So when they're failures, they're transmitted to the rest of the economy. It's not necessarily the case in China. I mean, if you think about the Soviet Union, the Soviet Union lasted like 45 years, you know, so this can go, I mean, it can go on for a really long time. Yeah, definitely. Just to give a uh, little news update to people who maybe aren't following this as much, uh, on Wednesday, Evergrande will pay its what well, is scheduled to uh, ha- it has to pay uh, interest payments on a second round of dollar-denominated bonds. Uh, Evergrande has already failed to pay on those dollar de- the first round on Friday, and this happens as its electric car subunit, Evergrande New Energy Vehicle, plunged 10% as it announced a shortage of funds, and I believe it was going to be um, uh, traded on some exchange. It was sort of supposed to be the saving grace, uh, this new energy vehicle thing, but uh, doesn't appear like it's a lot of saving grace now. Um, Jared, we've got a question from uh, Ellen wants to know, does Evergrande have the potential to take down the entire real estate sector in China? And if so, what are the implications for the larger Chinese economy and worldwide? Uh, you know, I'll just go back to what I said before. Um, you know, the, the losses can be papered over. This can take a really long time, you know? Um, so I, I don't, I don't think there's, you know, I mean, look, like I'm just starting to find shorts in the newsletter or I'm starting to position myself bearishly, but I'm not under the illusion that we're going to have some kind of global crisis or crash anytime in the next three to six months or even a year. It could take longer than that. Jared, we got another question from Bill T, who asks on the Real Vision Exchange, why is Jared out of the oil trade? Is it because everyone seems to be all in in the oil trade? And does the COT commitment of traders report show that this that there's an all-in participation in oil? Well, a bunch of reasons. So um, getting back to my 70s analogy, okay, it you didn't want to be long commodity producers. You wanted to be long the actual commodities. Okay. Being long the commodity producers didn't really help. So that's one reason. And yes, sentiment was another reason I tweeted out about a week ago. um, You know, I said that when I bought energy in 2020, everybody said I was nuts. And then when I sold it a week or two ago, all the people who said I was nuts in 2020 were telling me that the energy bull market was just getting started. You know, so I was getting a lot of those incoming emails. You know, I was I was uh, when I was selling energy, people are saying you're nuts. It's just getting started. And there was too much consensus. And, you know, I, I went the other way. So you got out of sort of the Exxon Mobiles, the XLEs, take your take your pick, the producers. But. Uh, do you remain constructive on the actual oil itself? The, the, let's say the physical contracts. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh okay, okay. That's that's very interesting. Why is it that the commodities outperform the commodity producers? Well, ultimately, you know, if you're a commodity producer, it's a company, it's a stock, and you're affected by these inflationary pressures. Like I said, you know, I think we are pretty much at peak valuations right now. 
And I do think those valuations are going to compress over the next 10 years. And I think forward returns are going to be lower. I'm just not excited about equities. And I don't care what kind of equities they are. I don't care if they're you know energy equities or financials or like I really I'm just not excited about stocks here. Mm. Um, what's your so what what other shorts uh, do you have your eye on? If you're really if you're really bearish, you know you got you can short um, uh, you know the general index. You can short semiconductors. Uh, tell us about tell us about semiconductors. Well, I don't want to go into too much detail, but I will say that the the shorts are going to be based in tech, um, mostly because you no, know, we can talk about bonds for a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think I think we're finally starting to get some technical confirmation in rates. The rates are going higher. Um, I think that's going to continue. Uh, I have some exposure to that, um, but I really I really think that tech is going to underperform. You know, I've been saying this for value. I'm a, I'm a value bull, right? I'm a value bull. And the shorts are going to be in tech and growth, and that's where I'm going to position the shorts. So, got it. Um, what so about about bonds? It sounds like you think that the the bond market could be about to turn over. We did have a very strange or very you know sudden spike, I should say, um, earlier this morning. What what is it about bonds that you think will turn over? And also, if the economy is if the global economy is going to grind um, to a halt or, or slow down drastically because of Evergrande because of inflation, aren't bonds typically thought to be a hedge against slowing growth? So first of all, you know I've traded for twenty years plus, and I can tell you that at this particular moment in time, the stock market is the most sensitive to changes in interest rates than I've ever seen. Okay. So we've gone, rates have gone up 30 basis points in tens, and it's caused all kinds of problems already, right? Like NASDAQ was crashing this morning. Like it's, it's causing all kinds of problems. Like, you know, back in 2002, if rates went up 30 basis points, nobody noticed, nobody cared, you know? So I'm, I'm telling you if, if tens go up to 2%, the S and P is going to be 10 to 15% lower. Mm. And do you think that tens will get to two percent? I do. Yeah. What, uh, Jared? What do you can you can you lay out your thinking on this? You know, we've been in a world for uh, you know a year and a half now where stocks have gone up, bonds have gone up, meaning yields yields have gone down. Just there's been so much liquidity there. What is the what is the basis of your thinking that that will that will change? Well. Uh, you know, this is getting kind of tired, but I'll bring in the seventies again, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but you know, if, if you think about the seventies, that was a period of time when financial assets, stocks and bonds did very poorly, but hard assets, commodities did very well. Okay. And I think it, I think it matches up totally to what's going on now. I mean, we could have, let's just say for 2022, 2023, we could have returns in treasuries and stocks be negative, perhaps a lot negative. And we could have, you know, there's been all kinds of commodity charts being passed around Twitter about how they're breaking trend line resistance and stuff. You know, commodities could be up 30 to 40% in the next two years. We're going to take another quick break, but we'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. 
Go to LipsonAds.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Welcome back to The Daily Briefing. Let's get back to top analysis of today's markets. Mm. Uh, Jared, um, let, pe- people watching this at home, let us know uh, what questions you have for Jared. We have eight minutes left. Jared, I was shocked when I read this, this piece uh, today because you, I thought of you as such a bull and someone whose thoughts on inflation have inspired you to be buying stocks, taking on risk. So I was struck uh, that your, your inflationary view was, and as well your thoughts on China was leading you uh, out of the market and to actually put on shorts. I was thinking, Jared, it's kind of like, you know, reading this is kind of like if you switched from progressive house to sort of like glitch music. <laughs> you know, what's funny is in, uh, if you look in your profile in Facebook, uh, it's it says like your political views and your religious views. So my political views are chaotic neutral, which I don't know if you know anything about, but I'll tell you later. And my religious views are progressive house. Like that's my religion. <laughs> I'm never, never going to change that. So. Yeah. So that's the type of music that you make. You are a DJ. Uh, Jared, we, we talked about uh, your first concert in, in New York of, of 2021. It's my understanding you have a second one. Tell us a little bit about that. November 12th, it's a Friday. It's at Dew Supper Club, which is at 59 West 21st Street. Uh, same venue we did the last one. It's a great venue. It's got a killer sound system. I think you would agree that the sound system is really, really good. I would, uh, yeah. yeah. And it's not too far of a walk from the Real Vision offices. So very convenient for me. So, you know, Adam Silver is going to be opening for me like he did last time. But opening for him is a guy named Saad Khan who is an investment banker in Toronto, who's also a DJ. He's going to fly down. He's going to do a great warm-up set. So he's, I've been following him for like seven years, and he's really, really good. Really good. So you should come check it out. Wow, sounds fun. I'm looking forward to being there. Jared, the finance, it sounds like finance guys who DJ, you all sort of know each other. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know, I wish, I wish there were more. I wish there were more, you know? Yeah. Uh, So we got another question from Hector from the exchange who says, what will be affected in the market if the debt ceiling is not raised? Thank you so much. Always. Uh, I don't, I don't think it's, I think it's going to be raised. Let's put it that way. I've spent like 0.01% of my mental energy thinking about that. Um, I think it's going to be raised. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend any time on that at all. Okay. Uh, I don't, I'm not going to try and pronounce that name. Someone wants to know how does ever the Evergrande default in October affect the crypto market? Uh, I don't think one is related to the other. Um, I mean, you know, if you're talking about China and crypto, their recent ban on crypto, I mean, that definitely affected crypto. Um, you know, I think that, I mean, crypt, you know, crypto is great because like it's purely sentiment. You know, it's all sentiment. There's there's no fundamentals. I mean, people use charts, but it's really all sentiment. And if you think about, you know, the evolution of this bull market that peaked about six months ago at 64,000 in Bitcoin, you know, it's it's getting tired. The sentiment is getting tired. Uh, the last run up to 54,000 or whatever, it, it just felt tired. And I'm just, you know, I, I don't I don't think good things are going to happen there. So, mm. What are your thoughts on the natural gas price? It was up something like 10 or maybe even 11% today. A lot of people are talking about a gas crisis in the United Kingdom, in Europe. What do you think of that? Honestly, I don't know. 
I, I I have not been following it. I've you know I've been seeing the charts come by on Twitter. Uh, not a natural gas expert, so I'm not going to offer an opinion. Yeah, although historically, would you say that a high natural gas price? Oh, excuse me, I'm thinking of gasoline. I was going to say high gasoline price, but they're they're not the same. Um, Jared, I want to ask you now. Um, what are some some idiosyncratic shorts that you are thinking of um, in terms of China? Like, for example, I, I uh, DM'd you on Twitter about how an analyst I interviewed, Vincent Deluard, noted that almost uh, half of all luxury stocks, such as LVMH, a lot of their, so much of their revenue comes from Asia uh, Pacific, specifically China. And that if it's these you know rich uh, eccentric billionaires in China who are buying all these all these stuff, or especially entrepreneurs, uh, those are the people who Xi Jinping sort of wants to crack down on. So, what what, what how would you evaluate that uh, short idea from Vincent Deluard? That is an excellent, excellent idea, and I might steal it. I might steal <laughs> it. I like it a lot. Um, I steal ideas all the time. Uh, I remember I was buying a watch in Vegas. This was like five years ago. And I was in the Venetian, and there's this store there called Orologio, which I'd actually bought a watch from before. And, um, you know, I went in there, and, like, all, like they didn't have any stock. Like, everything was empty. And they said, yeah, it's all people from China. They just come in, and they buy 10 watches at a time, you know? So that was that was China five years ago, right? It's going to be very different going forward. So I really, really like that idea, and I'm going to steal it. Yeah, and I mean, LVMH has been the growth engine in Europe. You, know, you think of growth stocks in the U.S., it's like Microsoft, Apple, the tech stocks. But in Europe, not so many FANG stocks. So it's th their growth engine is LVMH. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jared, what about the commodity sector? Not oil, but let's say copper and iron ore, which are key inputs to construction. You know, If you think that the multi-decade property bubble in China is about to pop, you, you can't be that constructive on copper, right? Uh, I don't have a strong opinion. I mean, in terms of home building in the U.S., we do have significant demand for these commodities, but the home building is contingent on rates. Um, and if you get tens up to, you know, if, if you get tens up to two percent, it doesn't make that big of a deal. But two and a half percent, and you're going to see a significant slowdown in building. So I really, I really think it's rate dependent. Mm -hmm. So what do you think, you're not constructive on the equity world really at all. What do you think will be the least burnt tree in the wildfire? Sounds like the most burnt tree you think will be these hyper growth names. What about the least burnt? Uh, grocery stores, consumer staples. I mean, when you're in business school and you're in whatever class and you're learning about business cycles and what stocks do well during an expansion and what stocks do well during a recession. It's really, it's the, it's the same playbook, you know, it's, it's, it's staples, it's grocery stores. I'm trying to think of a stock. Uh, oh, a great stock Budweiser in Beth. Mm -hmm. Great in this environment. You have, you have gearing to inflation, it's value it's it's a staple. It's exactly what you want. I mean, not like you're going to make two x on that stock, but you know, if it's it'll probably you know if you th if you think back to 2002, 2003 when value stocks are doing well, you might make twenty or thirty percent on it. But that's that's not not saying that I like InBev particularly, but that's the type of stock that I'm looking at. Yeah, like a Coca Cola type. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Well, Jared, uh, it's been great having you on the daily briefing. As we reach a close, uh, what final thoughts do you want to leave our audience with? Uh, you know, I've liquidated probably 60 or 70 percent of the portfolio in the last two weeks. Uh, a lot of the stuff that I liquidated continued to go up, uh, which doesn't really feel great. But um, I think it was the prudent thing to do. And uh, I'm going to be putting on shorts very carefully because this is still technically a bull market. And you don't really want to get into a fight with a bull market. Yeah. So you'll be putting on short positions. And then if the stock market continues to roar higher, you will be you know, taking those off or definitely not adding more. You'll only be adding more if they work out, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, uh, Jared, thanks so much for joining us on the daily briefing. Thank you, everyone, to watching. I, you know, I know uh, today must have been a little bit of a shocker to hear this uh, news from Jared, but uh, I hope it left you um, with a lot to think about, as it did with me. Have a good night. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.